A lesson I learned not so long ago is called the Emperor's Singing Contest. The lesson is as follows. An emperor is holding a singing contest between two contestants to be his new court singer. The first contestant comes in and begins to sing. Even though his voice is beautiful, and he sings excellently, the emperor notices all kinds of minor imperfections. The second contestant steps up and says, I assure you, emperor, I could sing far better than that. Disgusted, the emperor waves his hand dismissively and proclaims, the second contestant wins. The problem with this logic, of course, is that the second contestant could be much, much worse. The emperor has nothing but the second contestant's word that he is better. Perhaps the first contestant was imperfect, but he had a good voice and was overall a good singer. By declaring the second contestant the winner without even hearing him, the emperor runs the risk that he will be stuck with a terrible court singer. Unfortunately, this is how many people evaluate markets. They see that under the American market system, and I put that in quotes, there is poverty, there is inequality, and there is unfairness. Socialism and communism each promise an end to these problems. Despite having no proof that these promises have any basis in fact, so-called liberal Americans often gravitate towards these ideologies as a cure to all the ills America has. But they have declared the second singer the winner without bothering to listen to what he sounds like. The irony is, we have plenty of examples of what the second singer sounds like. The death of Fidel Castro is one such reminder. Fidel's years in power took a country with significant wealth and sugar, and turned it into a worker's paradise, where the average disposable income is $20 a month, less than 5% of Cubans have internet access, and the average age of a car is almost 60 years old. This is, of course, despite massive oil subsidies from equally socialist and equally destitute Venezuela. Some will reply that Cubans get a bunch of freebies from the government, but would you make that trade? And also, let's not forget that Cuba under Fidel is one more reminder that when communists get into power, the government starts killing its citizens. The point here, of course, is not to suggest that the first singer should not be criticized. There are significant problems with American markets, namely an excess of regulation and government intervention in the economy that props up well-connected corporations at the expense of small business and consumer benefit. The point is that we need to evaluate the second singer as critically as we do the first singer. I understand it's a classic case of the grass always being greener on the other side, but I think you'll find that when you look at the second singer with the same critical eye as you look at the first, the first singer starts looking a whole lot better. You're listening to Liberties and Policies because you can have both. Maintenance of a free society it's a very difficult and complicated thing. Ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. But power must be restrained because no one knows who will next hold that power. In this present crisis, government is not the solution to our problem. Government is the problem. Alright, welcome to the second episode of Liberties and Policies. Uh, before we get into things, yes, I pulled a Trump in the last episode and mispronounced Nevada. This is, in fact, the primary reason why I would never run for office in that state. I've known the way I pronounce it is wrong for years, and I still can't fix it. So all you Nevadans out there should just get used to this, because I'm from the East Coast, and I will slip. Okay, 
So moving into some of the events from the past couple weeks. I should really name this section Ridiculous Things because that's what so much of this is. So the first ridiculous thing. So there was an article that came out a week or so ago about in the New York Times about Venezuelans fleeing Venezuela because of the economic collapse on, on rafts or small boats. And it's ridiculous because this is a country doing all the same things that Castro is being celebrated by all the Trudeau-diots out there. Hey, might not catch on, but gotta try. Anyway, Venezuela, like Cuba, was once a fairly wealthy Latin American country, and it benefited from wealth in natural resources. Then Chavez came in and imposed, or should I say inflicted, socialism on the country. Inflation skyrocketed, all those free government services stopped Kept, or they kept being free, but they stopped providing anything, and grocery stores emptied. Now people are fleeing the country in overloaded fishing boats, which is of course exactly what I was referring to in the intro about the second singer. For example, many on the left were applauding Castro for providing free healthcare, which they exclaimed shrilly, we don't even have here. But Cuban healthcare is not something to strive for. The most basic medicine is scarce, patients bribe doctors to get treatment, and the infection rate is at the hospitals themselves is high, and so, so obviously, high-ranking communist officials get excellent treatment. Again, so, so obviously. So, the second ridiculous thing is this whole election recount, and, of course, Trump's response to it. So, there's two ridiculous things here. First is the recount itself, headed by Jill Stein. Well, maybe that's three ridiculous things if we count Jill Stein in the Green Party. Uh, but this recount effort seems to be utterly baseless. There's no real evidence that there was any voter fraud, and the Washington Post ran an article about how, even if there was, a recount would not show it. My opinion is that the Greens are using this, uh, using this as an opportunity for self-promotion. Maybe they're pocketing a little bit of the extra cash they raise, but the main goal is to prop themselves up as the defenders of democracy. Whatever. This is a waste of time, and they're preying on desperate anti-Trump forces to give them false hope that we won't really have a President Trump. We're going to have a President Trump. So, that's ridiculous thing one. Ridiculous thing two is that Trump has decided to respond to this recount effort in an election that he won by declaring with no basis that millions of people voted illegally. What? Donald, you won the election. Why are you alleging voter fraud? It's baffling. I mean, I'll, I'll tell you why. Trump has a pathological need to present himself as a winner. So he has to win everything. Even the things that don't matter, like the popular vote. I'll be honest, this is just more proof that Trump has bad judgment. I'm sure some of you like Trump, and that's, that's okay. But I urge you to be critical of him when he goes off the rails like this. Only constructive criticism from his supporters will keep him in check. So, the next big story, the Ohio State attack. So, if you haven't heard, Abdul Razak Ali Artan, forgive me if the pronunciation is off, a legal Somali immigrant, attacked Ohio State students with his car and then a knife, hospitalizing 11. He has been linked with ISIS and stated that, quote, By Allah, we will not let you sleep unless you give peace to the Muslims which is ironic coming from a member of ISIS, but I'm not here to debate ISIS. It does highlight the point that one of the primary factors driving terrorism is frustration with America's regime-change-friendly foreign policy. I really don't like when Americans say that 
say things like they hate us for our freedom. No, they don't. If they did, they'd be targeting New Zealand. They hate us because we drone strike civilians and try to tell them what government they should have. This is what makes a lot of people living in the Middle East susceptible to radicalization. There's already a sense of bitterness directed at the United States among so many of them. You can email me to tell me that that's not justifiable anger all you want. That's fine. I don't have a strong opinion there. But I'm just telling you where all this anger comes from. The ridiculous thing here, though, is the reaction. So this attack, if you didn't know, was originally reported as a shooting. You can probably guess what happened. People immediately jumped on their Facebooks and their Twitters and their social networkers and declared loudly and proudly that they did not want people to own things that people have a right to own. Guns. It took approximately zero seconds for people to add this to the list of attacks that prove the need for, quote, common sense gun reform. Common sense, of course, being up there with just the right thing to do as one of the worst and most overused phrases in politics. Senator Tim Kaine, Hillary's running mate, jumped on Twitter to declare it a, quote, senseless act of gun violence. And Democratic Rep. Sheila Jackson Lee stated in a barely comprehensible tweet, quote, Today is yet another was a sad day in our country because of a senseless shooting. Problem is, obviously, there was no gun being used, so banning any kind of gun would have stopped no aspect of this attack. This is not to say I'm particularly happy with the reaction from some members of the right. That whole, are we going to ban cars and knives, line of attack is something I'm tired of hearing, and this, prob this predictably prodded anti-Muslim and anti-immigrant fears. The only good thing about the response is that Trump managed to avoid congratulating himself uh, for predicting it like when Dwayne Wade's cousin was shot. So another ridiculous thing. Um, this new movie, Miss Sloan. I'm only going to spend a minute, on, minute or two on this because if I spent time on every instance where Hollywood kissed the boots of liberalism, I'd spend my whole podcast on this. But a new movie called Miss Sloan is coming out based on a lobbyist who gives up her evil conservative ways to fight the gun lobby on more of this sensible gun reform. I think it's pretty funny that Hollywood has clearly learned nothing from this election. As I've stated before, everyone who is going to be swayed by Hollywood's opinions already has been. Everyone else is repulsed by the hypocritical cesspool that is Hollywood, one of the most sexist and racist places left in the United States. Hollywood went all in for Hillary in the election, and it, turned up, it ended up turning off flyover state Americans who knew they were being pandered to. But I don't think Hollywood is going to realize that they are not revered as thought leaders anytime soon. Of course, this being said, after I had already planned to talk about this, Mark Wahlberg came out and said that celebrities should shut up about politics, so maybe I shouldn't paint with such a broad brush. Congratulations, Mark. All right. Another ridiculous thing. Trump announcing a deal that would keep a thousand jobs from the air conditioning company carrier in Indiana. I know. How could that be ridiculous? He's, project he's protecting jobs. This is ridiculous because people are acting like Trump is taking on corporations. Even the New York Times, who, if you've had your head buried in the sand for the last year or so, does not like Trump, stated that this, quote, signals that Mr. Trump is a different kind of Republican willing to take on big business. How is making a deal that obviously benefits Carrier taking on big business? 
Part of this deal is that Indiana is going to provide economic incentives to the tune of $7 million to Carrier for staying. Is that our standard of taking on big business now? Trump going goes to Carrier and promises cronious benefits to the company, and people declare it taking on big business. Amazing. As a side note, I don't normally believe outsourcing is a bad thing, as it allows Americans to receive products for cheaper prices. See the last episode if you want more detail on that. However, I know that one of the things that Trump is offering Carrier is a general overhaul to the corporate tax code and reduction of regulations. Those are both good things, solving problems that are artificially making the American economy worse for businesses, and forcing them to relocate, so that is not a problem for me. However, there seems to be another part of this deal that is more than just ridiculous. It's dangerous. It seems that the main selling point to United Technologies, that's the selling point in terms of forcing them to keep some jobs in the United States was the threat of losing some of the $6.7 billion in federal contracts they receive every year. That's a, that's a substantial percentage of their income. Let me repeat that. Trump threatened to use federal contracts to force a company to do what he wants. Look, there have been plenty of Hitler comparisons in terms of Trump's views on immigration, and I think they're overblown. But... This is how Hitler and Mussolini ran the economy. The government strong-arming businesses to do exactly what the government wants is, economically, fascism. Really, I I struggled with finding another word for this because fascism has so many other connotations that I'm not trying to draw here. I'm just talking about the economics of it. Maybe planned capitalism, but that's a bit euphemistic. This is not just the government intervening in the economy. This is the government dominating the economy. Businesses should not fear the government targeting them. This is basic conservative stuff, guys. On a related topic, Mike Pence has defended the carrier deal by saying that, quote, the free market has been sorting it out and America's been losing. Unless this is somehow out of context, which I don't see how it could be, they're giving up all, pre- all pretense of being a conservative administration. This is disturbing stuff. A Republican vice president-elect is saying that the free market is making America lose? That's utter nonsense, and Mike Pence is smart enough to know better. Again, I covered trade in the last episode, but jobs are not being lost to free trade. Jobs are being lost to productivity improvements. The economy changes, or we don't progress. We no longer have an entire society farming because farming has become so much, pro- so much more productive. We no longer have milkmen because we have re- refrigeration. Are these tragedies? No, our economy as a whole is better off because of it. This is one of those issues that's so hard to explain because the harms of economic progress are obvious. Industries become obsolete, and people lose jobs. For the benefits of economic improvement, it's much harder to see a direct connection. Prices go up, technologies improve, new industries rise up. But people don't realize that those things happen because of trade. They happen because of free markets and because of productivity improvements. All right, so I want to talk about some of the new appointments to cabinet positions that Trump has made, Um, but I don't want to spend too much time on these because there's so much media talk about them already. So first, Steve Mnuchin, uh, the Treasury Secretary pick. I'm okay with this pick. He's anti-Dodd-Frank and pro-simplifying the tax code. He's not very trade-friendly, but what did we expect? Uh, Tom Price for Health and Human Services. I really like this pick. 
He's an anti-Obamacare crusader, and he's developed an ultra-detailed plan of his own that is mostly focused on market-oriented reform. It's a signal that Trump is actually interested in scrapping Obamacare, so that's something to be excited about. Uh, Betsy DeVos for education, um, that's another great pick. She's very supportive of school choice and has walked back past support of Common Core and now says she's against it. As long as she stays that way, then great. Um, there were some rumors that Sarah Palin was going to be uh, in charge of Veterans Affairs. Man, was there not enough incompetence in that department already? What did veterans do to Donald Trump to deserve that? <laughs> Um, also, news that Rand Paul is not sold on Romney came out recently, uh, as far as Secretary of State. I sympathize with Rand. Um, Romney is not the ideal choice ideologically, but I think we're well beyond that kind of standard. I'll settle for someone who has good judgment, a serious understanding of the global situation, and is experienced. Romney is all of those things, so I would be very happy with Romney as Secretary of State. All right, moving on. Uh, the Standing Rock protests, there's a lot of news on this. So first I want to start with them being uh, the news that they were, the protesters were being evicted uh, from their protest site. I actually don't support this. I consider this to be a crackdown on free speech. If people want to sit out in the cold and protest this pipeline for whatever reason, they should be free to do so. To be clear, I think the pipeline protest is profoundly dumb. I'll be the first to say this. The pipeline is good for the economy. It adds about $3.8 billion to the economy. Pipelines are the safest method of transporting oil, since the odds of environmental damage are actually much higher by rail or by truck. And the pipeline is going under the Missouri River and Lake Oahe so that there won't be contamination of drinking water sources. And the developers of the pipeline made 140 rude alter alterations to avoid cultural sites, and made attempt after attempt to include the Standing Rock Sioux in the planning process. This, this pipeline does not cross Sioux land. That's, that's been a myth that's going on throughout this, throughout this protest. The, the pipeline does not cross into Sioux land. But none of that matters, since the Standing Rock Sioux have just turned down every attempt uh, to communicate because they have no interest in finding a mutually beneficial solution. They just don't want it there, and they know that people are going to join them in this protest. But... Still, they, they have a right to protest. The Army Corps of Engineers is justifying the closure with two reasons. First, it's essentially saying that it's for the protesters' own safety, due to the cold winter months coming, and the difficulty of emergency personnel reaching protesters who need help. Okay, they're there of their own free will and can handle the consequences. If they want to die of hypothermia for a pointless cause, then that's their decision. Second, the Corps is saying that they're closing the protests for the protection of the general public, and setting up a, quote, free speech zone further away. First off, the country is a free speech zone. If you hear the word zone after free speech, you should be concerned, because that's the whole reason why we have the First Amendment. Second, it seems to me like these reasons could be justifications to shut down almost any protest. But on a related note, on Monday the Army announced that they were going to block the plan to build the pipeline under Lake Oahe. I mean, the whole reason why the pipeline was being built under Lake Oahe in the first place is because people were concerned about drinking water contamination. The Army Corps has already done a study that found that the pipeline's environmental impacts would be temporary and not substantial. And then the, a federal judge, minutes before this decision came down, 
had said that he would not block the pipeline. And yet minutes after that, the Obama administration came out and blocked the pipeline. So why the change of heart? Well, it couldn't have anything to do with the increased political pressure Obama is getting for not coming down hard enough on yet another issue where feelings are dominating facts. This is political nonsense that is going to hurt jobs. Okay, moving on. Some news about world politics, Europe specifically. First, France is looking like it will have a runoff election between the right and the far right. You heard that right. France. The socialists under Hollande have, not surprisingly, made a hash of things. In April of this year, his approval rating was at 14%. That's about the same as the approval rating of Congress. In French presidential elections, each party competes in the first round of the election, and then the top two vote-getters face off against each other in the second round. Unfortunately, Hollande has said that he will not run, I say unfortunately, because the socialists would have no chance if he did. But things aren't looking too bright for the socialists anyway. Good for France. Better for France. The center-right party's nominee, Francois Fillon, the party also happens to be called the Republicans and French speakers, forgive my pronunciation, is a Thatcherite, conservative, who defends the free market. I wasn't aware that there was anyone left in France who did that, but I guess that's what a, free, a few years of socialist presidency does for a country. Anyway, there is a good shot that he'll end up facing Marine Le Pen, the candidate of the far-right National Front, who has spent her time trying to make the party less far-righty. Academic term. Point is, good chance that France will have a good president for the first time in forever. Meanwhile, Austria came close to electing someone who made Trump look like a hippie. Norbert Hofer, who incidentally possesses the least intimidating name for the nominee of a party that was founded by Nazis ever, had a very good chance of defeating his opponent, with polls showing Hofer with an advantage leading, leading into the race. In the end, his Green Party opponent won. Hofer had campaigned on a platform of very overt anti-immigrant sentiment. It's not a good thing, as I've said before, I have very little interest in this sort of European anti-immigrant populism. But it's been a growing trend across Europe, and it's worth keeping an eye on. And it's a reminder that we could very well end up in the position where our election is between Jill Stein and Trump on racist steroids. If you thought Trump versus Hillary was bad. So, the last thing I want to talk about today is this whole flag-burning uproar, and how Trump said that he wanted to have some sort of punishment for people who burn the flag. So, my opinion on flag burning is pretty simple. It's a crappy thing to do, but it is a protected form of speech. Trump's promise to punish people who do it represents a dangerous attack on free speech. That being said, I sympathize with Senator Joe Manchin, a Democrat from West Virginia, who happens to be the least Democratic Democrat ever to Democrat, when he said that, quote, it's a First Amendment right, but if you do it in front of me, I'm going to beat the hell out of you. Of course, I'm a scrawny 5'10", 160-pound man, so maybe I'd leave the threat out of it. When you burn the flag, you're not only disrespecting every person who ever fought and died for the flag, but you're also displaying a profound level of ignorance when it comes to the rest of the world. You'll often hear people list the bad things that have happened and are currently happening in America and then stop as if they've just made some fantastic intellectual achievement to realize that America is imperfect. America's imperfection is something to recognize, to be sure, and we must always learn from the mistakes of the past and the present. 
But what America stands for, and by extension the flag, is individual freedom and the right to express yourself and live your life in a way that seems best to you, a laudable objective that we must strive to fulfill constantly. Burning the flag represents a sophomoric disassociation from the community that reaches for that goal, because we have thus far failed to fully achieve it. It is the tantrum man-children throw when the going gets rough, signifying that they believe they're above the fight to improve the country because the country does not deserve them, and that alone makes me angry. All right, well, with that, that's the end of our show for the week. Um, if you want to join us in a couple weeks, we'll be back. Uh, we'll have an issue for you that week. Be sure to like us on Facebook and on our WordPress, which is, again, Liberties and Policies at WordPress.com. And also, if you have any questions, comments, or concerns, send them to libertiesandpolicies at gmail.com. Thanks, and see you in a couple weeks. Government is the problem.